Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, this is the Zane Lowe interview series. I am Hanuman. Thank you again for joining us this week with another conversation. This time, Zane sits down with the one and only Shania Twain, an artist who has three decades of absolute back-to-back incredible work, a pop star that they just don't make anymore. I mean, she really is one of one, and I think she has the kind of career that most people dream about. And Zane actually sat down and spoke with her about that, past, present, and future, and the new album, which is called Queen of Me. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. It's a gorgeous day by Arizona. Thanks by for Arizona. having me. I feel all cozy. No, thank you for taking the time. It's so great that we get a chance to just talk about this really great album. We've met once before, and I wouldn't remember, wouldn't expect you to remember, but I will remind you because it was awesome. We were um, at Coachella last year, and it was. I'll set the scene. It was in Harry's backstage area. Oh, yeah. And it was probably about 25, 30 minutes before he went on. It was close enough that I was surprised people were still there and he was there. I was like, well, this guy is a cool customer if he's still hanging out, socializing this close to showtime. And you and I got into it quite deep. We were talking about our families, raising kids, the whole thing. And you were super casual. You were in like just a tracksuit or, I mean, I didn't even know you were performing at that night. And I would never have guessed because you were so chill and so charming and funny. And I went out to the crowd, and then an hour later, you came out looking incredible and just shut that shit down. Boy, Schneider, you clean up well. <laughs> well, it was just such a contrast, and it was it was an amazing moment as well, um, meeting you for the first time like that. And what struck me, the reason I, I brought that up is what struck me is just how grounded and and appreciative of the moment that night you seemed. And the first thing you said when you arrived today was, it's... It's a beautiful day. And it just strikes me from listening to this album and, and meeting you a couple of times now that that is really where the work has led you, to this place of appreciation. Is that a fair place to start? Appreciation and celebrating that um, there's, just that there's so many things to celebrate. Yeah. I feel, I'm just, I, I'm probably appreciating and celebrating and enjoying not just life, but also my success more than I ever did when it was really, you know, exploding. Because being a being a trailblazer and being successful, I've always thought it gets championed and put on this this stage of like, wow, gratitude you must feel for that. I think it it must be lonely sometimes when you're experiencing that level of success. And the idea of a trailblazer is by its very nature a lonely experience. Lonely is a very good word. It is very lonely. Just being a workaholic is lonely. Yeah. Especially when you're a creative person or you're the center of the focus of these performances. I mean, when you're on tour, for example, for me anyway, it takes a lot of discipline and requires, you know, sleep, eat, travel. Mm -hmm. Routine. Perform. Yeah. I'm very strict with my diet. I'm, it's just, I'm, I'm really just... Um, living in a bubble of, you know, whatever it takes for to put on a good show. Yeah, and that that does just get very lonely month after month. Um, there's no time to socialize. There's exactly, because no to... people want to celebrate with you all the time. And what yeah. gets you to that place where people are attracted to you on that scale well, is the, is the focus on the work, is the focus on the craft. Well, the only place to celebrate when you are, you know, as you're building accolades. And, and, you know, every little success that you're experiencing, there's no time in, the, in, in those moments, in those very intense uh, building, career building um, years 
that you have time to celebrate anything. There's yeah. no, so you're celebrating on stage. Yeah. So your your yeah. moment to celebrate is with the fans, which is quite ironic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're the ticket to celebration. You're the ticket to celebration. That's it. Right. It's I get to like you know get out there and have some fun and express and and watch the crowds growing and watch the crowds enthusiasm and that is where I celebrate but vicariously I with other people. That's it's it. So, it's so so funny and when you look back on that time, ninety five to two. Thousand three four near decade. Does it feel like another life? Does it feel like a a different experience? Is it harder to connect to? Not really. I mean, you know, I'm I'm on stage doing the songs regularly. I stay connected to the songwriter in me. The songs all stay very current with me in my songwriting mind. Mm -hmm. I'm always reflecting on moments. Um, of coming up with an idea or, you know, uh, understanding. I'm, I'm also always looking at, you know, where that song could have gone production-wise oh, or story-wise. That would drive you crazy, though, wouldn't it? I mean, it's there. No, I kind it of exists. have fun with it. You do. I, I do, because I look at, I mean, look at Eric Clapton's Layla. That's always a really great example. He, he re-recorded that song in a very different, like, stylistically very different. Yeah. And... The song itself and the songwriting itself was done in one moment, but then he reinvented it, you know, with his uh, arrangement mm. and, and production. So the song is never over. You know, the re the record is never over. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. The song is. The song is encapsulated in the mm. moment. Once you've recorded it for the first time, you know, that's the end of the song. But I always see the, the possibilities um, and enjoy that. I just think the songs are... Uh, there's always room for evolution. You, your relationship with your songs is now a shared one because you share them with us and we share them back to you. And there's this beautiful, wonderful chemistry that exists now with those songs. They belong to everybody. Yeah. What do they mean to you as they age? Like when you think back to a song like You're Still the One or, um, you know, any, in particular the bigger songs that I think resonate on an emotional level, how do you feel about those songs as, as they move through life? I've watched the music really become a part of the fans' lives and how they have taken ownership of the music, the songs. The, they've created, they've, they've, the songs mean something different to them than, it, than they did or do to me. Mm -hmm. And that's changed what they mean to me now. Because now it's almost like the meaning of those songs is more what it has become to everybody else. Because the reason why I wrote a lot of the songs don't exist in my, you know, daily, you know, the way I think in a current, you know, just day to day place in my mind. So in that sense, the songs are in the past for me. You let them go. I let them go, but the fans live them now. Yeah. Um, and new fans, young fans yeah. are, are, so they kind of give the songs a rebirth and a, a new meaning for me, which is so wonderful to watch. So the songs never get old. Do you ever listen to them? That's a question. Do you ever listen to them? I do. I do listen to the music um, from the early years. Can you appreciate it and listen to it and enjoy it? I can. I, I like to listen to a lot of the music that, um, like Jealous is one of my favorite songs that I've ever written um, and recorded 
Forever and For Always is another one. There's just songs that um, I would just sit around. I just like to sit around and sing them. I love that, you know, because it's, it's not commonly known that a lot of artists, when you finish the process, it's challenging, I think, having asked this question a few times, for artists to sit down and appreciate the music the way we can. And I've always felt that's quite a sad part of the trade. You know, you get it to is. experience the process, which is the ultimate high. We get the result, which isn't close. But for you to not be able to enjoy it the way we do, I always felt a little, was a bit of a bittersweet acknowledgement. And I, so I love the fact that you can, because I, I would imagine you make it, surely you want to be able to appreciate it. I, I really can, because it's not everything, not every song. There's just certain songs that never get, it's almost like I just, if someone else had recorded them, and, and that's part of it too. I guess yeah. maybe I'm listening to them more as a songwriter. Yes. As the songwriter. Yes. And appreciating the way it was put together. And I could imagine a lot of my songs recorded by other artists never, never recorded by me. And I could, and I can see them having this different life. Um, I can imagine it. So it's probably more that. You live in your imagination quite a lot, I feel. <laughs> yes. A lot. A yeah, lot. this is my, um, my self-medication is my med is my imagination. That's awesome. What a, what a great one. It's what so, an amazing it's, statement. It's a super immediate thing. I'm very good at it now. I've gotten so good at switching on my imagination and escaping um, whenever I feel like it. I do that too. And, and I, I've done a lot of work and spoken to, to a couple of people throughout my life to figure out why I go there. Sometimes it's actually not great. Sometimes I go there too long or sometimes it's bad. And um, <laughs> Like bad is in what? Like you take, you spiral into a rabbit hole or well, you know, go somewhere dark? When you, when you mention a word like imagination, we, imagine, we immediately imagine this Willy Wonka type Roald Dahl type environment where it's all wonderful and this, everything's made of chocolate and I can eat this hat. But actually your imagination has the ability to be able to, 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 to create all kinds of uh, unspoken hypothetical scenarios, not, of all, not all of which, are, if you're OCD, can be, it can be challenging, you know. I oh, think yeah. everyone knows that. I trace that back to a place, I, it was escapism for me. I think I was trying to avoid some, some pretty heavy shit. Yeah. That I didn't really want to acknowledge or didn't have the tools to acknowledge. And so thankfully, imagination provided me a, a pathway. And I guess in many respects, that's why I'm here. Is it the same for you? Is that, is that imagination, even though you can harness it in a positive way now, do you recognize that it was probably a place of escape? Very much escapism. I enjoy, I, it's, it's two part. I indulge in my creative space and time. That's my, my me time. Yeah. Um, so part of it is just really indulgence. I love it. I love putting songs together and taking them back apart again. And, and that's why I can listen to older music because I'm, mm. when I'm listening to it, I'm taking it apart and imagining what it might be like if this person was singing it or if it had been more of a jazz song or more of a rock mm. song or because the song is really never finished in that sense. So I, I indulge in that. I love to create. I love to, um, I'll pull a song apart. I mean, re a ridiculous amount of times. But the other side of this is the escapism, where, uh, you know, just sort of mind over matter. Mm -hmm. If you're, if I wanted to simplify it, mm -hmm. simple mind over matter coping skill. Mm -hmm. um, I get it. Take myself to a different place and imagine that even though I'm stuck in, maybe it might be an environment, maybe it might be a, a, a mood, I will 
literally lift myself out of it um, by escaping into this, into songwriting. It's fascinating because in doing so, you inspire so many others who maybe don't even, we don't even have that ability. And, you know, even right down to the way that you dress your music, you know, queen of me, perfect outfit <laughs> for these songs. And that's the thing that really strikes me, Shania, is that what a life, what a life you've lived and continue to live. You know, it is the, the absolute textbook up and down, up and down roller coaster of a life well lived. And yet you still come back and through your art, you promote this sense of relentless, stubborn optimism of like, we're going to pull through. I am a seeker for stability. I'm not sure I'll ever really truly find that, which is, I guess, part of my motivation to get back up and keep searching for that, for stability in, in, in every way. That's and interesting. Do you think if you found it, you'd still try and find a way to search for it because it's fuel for you, do you think? I just don't think I'll ever find it. And that might be just because I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, I might just be that person that will never a restlessness. find it. There's a restlessness. There's, oh, my God. I'm one of them. I'm entirely restless. I'm, uh, I am, you know, a lot of people consider me tireless, but I think it's just, no, I exhaust myself, but I'm just, I can't, Yeah. you know. And this is why the meditative creative space and my imagination takes me to this, you know, reflective zone. Mm. I can chill out in my, you know, with my guitar, you know, and, and just self-medicate, get high on a chord progression. You know, it sounds kind of nerdy, but it's... No, it's music. So magical. And it dawns on me now, that's why you, you choose workaholics. Mark Ralph is a workaholic. Like, yeah. you know, Jake Gosling. Yeah. You know, Mutt. These people yeah. are obs as obsessive in their own way as you are. It's obsessive. It is obsessive for sure. I would say that that is true. And probably because once you're on it, it's a tunnel vision. Yeah. And I can sit there with the same three notes. If, it's, if it really resonates with me and I've just come across this, this uh, melody that is is um, moving me, I'll do the same. I'll just repeat that for an hour, um, like almost like a, a mantra, because it's so good. It's so satisfying. So like how, good and how do you walk? How do you how do you walk away? How do you? Most people who I've spoken to in the arts who process this way, yeah, are still making that music. <laughs> it's hard to stop. It, it becomes this thing where the process is the ultimate purpose. And, and someone said to me once, it was really interesting, I'll, I'll credit him, a guy called Fred again, a brilliant producer and artist, said to me, you learn nothing unless you let it go. So, yeah. so how do you get to a place where you can let the music go, you can let it go, if you love being there so much? Because there's, there's always, like, this is where I start to get excited, because there's always so many more to come. Mm. It's like I'm never going to ever stop finding those. So it's like, you know, you land for a second, you yeah. land, yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And now you're, I'm right off to the next. I'm right off to the next idea. I'm right off to many ideas. And and the ones I end up developing are the ones that resonate the most, the ones I want to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and then till I get to a point where I land and then I'm off again, you know. When I heard Inhale, Exhale for the first time and you get to the chorus, even though, Shania, I think there's probably a pretty good argument that a lot of what you sing and say in your songs is borderline a chorus, but this one has a real thing. What you're going to do with that air. Uh-huh. I mean, on paper, that's powerful, but the way you say it is so friendly and casual and it's like you're talking to someone over there. It's like, what you going to do with that air? It's just... Exactly. It's so good. Yeah. Is that one of those moments when you're like, I nailed that. You must know. You know what? The concept came before the, the song came. And the concept was inspired um, by the fact that I learned through COVID. And I'm asthmatic anyway. And then I had a really bad um, bout with COVID. Hmm. And it was very threatening. And when I got through that, I thought, Oof. You know, we take error for granted so much. Um, we take a lot of things for granted, you know, things that are just there. Mm. But air, I had never stopped to actually realize that, out of, of course, you know, outside of pollution and the fact that we... Um, yeah, when we damage the air, we focus exactly. on it. But otherwise, the thing that is absolutely essential to our the survival literal, is the thing we give the least credit to. The actual yeah. literal ability to inhale and exhale. That's why. That's one of the many reasons why COVID-19 and anything of that nature that attacks our, attacks our respiratory system is so tragic. Because yeah. what literally watching, and then there are other situations that we know about where we've watched the air being taken from people. That's right. That is, um, it, you know, it doesn't get as final as that and it's very rapid. Um, so I was so grateful. Oh boy! In this, in writing this whole album, I was really in a place of gratitude. Yeah, you know, and that is so. Hopefully, that comes out in the music. Well, for the most part, I mean, I'd say Pretty Liars got some sting in the tail. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I say Brand New's got some sting in the tail. Exactly. Well, that's like the spunk. Yeah, the spunk. Yeah. The spunk definitely came out. Um, You're Canadian, right? Yeah. I'm a New Zealander, right? We can swear around each other, right? Exactly. There's a couple of, there's a little bit of fuck you juice in those songs. Totally. <laughs> I know. And, but it's so satisfying. And everyone that's heard the song, I always thought, well, let's see, how, I don't know how people are going to react to this, but it's the conversational, how other way would you say it conversationally, you know? What are um, you going to do with that air? What are you going to do with it? What are you, how are you going to spend it? You're such a fucking liar. You're such a fucking liar. You're such a fucking liar. Yeah. I've said that many times in my life. You're such a fucking liar. Yeah. But yeah, so I do like to be conversational um, in my songwriting. And, but yeah, what, what are you going to do with that air? This came about, um, so I, I had just um, gotten out of the hospital, went right in the studio. Can I ask what was, what, what was, was it something serious? Were you? Yes. I had to be air vacked um, by a special team that because nobody else would fly me to the hospital because I, you know, because you can't just pick up a yeah. COVID patient and fly them to a hospital. So they wouldn't give me a bed, of course, naturally, until I could confirm that I could get this air vac to bring me there. Um, so it was a terrible, terrible bout that you had. It was a very bad. Yeah, I had COVID pneumonia and every day um, my lungs were filling up oh with God. inflammation every day. Within 12 days, I was... I was pretty much dying. Thankfully, I had um, plasma therapy, and it worked. On the fourth day, the plasma therapy um, 
I had I had no I had zero 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 point one antibodies. I I had no antibodies. I wasn't fighting it. Um. So my antibodies were not building up, and my lungs were getting more and more full of inflammation. So I mean, you know, that was just you know I was just waiting for the plasma therapy therapy to hopefully kick in. It doesn't kick in for everyone. That's the sad thing. Were you present during that time? Yes. So there must have been the most vivid and complex array of thoughts and emotions going through. It didn't run away with me. I think it was more the the staff around me were really, really good. Yeah. Uh, they didn't yeah. tell me how many more days of plasma therapy that I could not respond to before I was now then, you know, on a respirator on, your on own. my way out. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I was halfway in to where, what, what would have been considered my maximum treatment. They didn't say that, which was great. You know, of course. I, it was better to be ignorant about that. So, okay. One day at a time. Yeah. Um, so when I got out of there, I saw this, um, a minister, it was just a quick little blob of, of him. He was an older man and he was just, you know, it's like, can you feel that? That's air. Just breathe it in and breathe it out. Inhale, exhale. Without that, can't live. And he says, what you going to do with it? What you gonna do with that air? And I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna, I, that is so exactly true. So I, I wrote a song about all the things that you can do with air that we take for granted, all the things that you can celebrate, like blowing bubbles and dancing on chairs and dancing on chairs, throwing your hands up in the air. And it's like all the things that we just don't, you know, sailing and. But this is you. This champagne. Is, but this I mean, there's bubbles in champagne. Where do you think that comes from? It's air. We need air for all of these this things is what in makes, life. This is what makes you you, though, as an artist. You take something that is traumatic. Right. Severely traumatic for anybody to go through. And yes, you are one of the very fortunate ones to come through the other side and still be here today. Yeah. But you took that experience and you wrote a song that is like, that floats, like, what you gonna do with that air? Yeah, that's it. What you gonna do with that, that air? Get up on the chair, you can dance yeah. in it. Get up with your hands, you can do whatever. You I take know this experience yeah, and you give, it to, you give it to us celebrate. as a reason to celebrate. Yes. And you've been doing it over and over again. Like, because you celebrate when you get through something difficult, you know? Mm. Um, I do anyway. And, I, I share it in the music, you know, that's how I, um, that's where I put my inspiration in the music, you know, that's where it, that's my outlet for inspiration. So what was music to you in the years that we didn't get a Shania Twain album, that you were experiencing a different life? Yeah. Very positive things from what I can tell, raising a child, it doesn't get better than that. I know, as a parent, as you know, we've talked yes. about it. It's the best. That's right. It's the best. And um, I know, I think, and, and yeah, that's another, but absolutely, yes, we did talk about and that. And I'd love to talk about that later, but to get to that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all that. 
people do walk away from the arts and decide to raise families all the time. That's mm -hmm. a conscious decision, but it wasn't the only reason. There was also other things going on that you had to deal with. And so without putting you through all of that again, because you, you documented that so thoughtfully in your, in your documentary, which you should watch. What I didn't get from you in that documentary was what we, was music to you. You're a writer. Mm -hmm. To me, first and foremost, you're a songwriter. Take nothing away from your ability as a performer or your charisma, star power, or your success. You write words and put them into songs at the highest mastery level. Were you still doing that? Were you still applying yourself, even though we weren't getting music? I was doing it. Um, in fact, you've just um, inspired me now. I'm going to go back to that period and listen to those writing tapes. I was so trapped in this dysfunctional voice that, I mean, thankfully I was able to indulge in my parenting experience and I really did and in a way that was a blessing because yeah. I wasn't distracted. I yeah. was just mom and like loving every minute You're of it. You're off the wheel. It was, it was so fabulous. Yeah. Um, but oh, the loss of my voice, oh my God, this was like, it was like losing, it was like a death. It was like something that I really believed I would never get back again, that that was it. And I had to face it, and I spent those years coming to terms with it, that I would never sing with any satisfaction. There was acceptance. Yes, I had to, because I just couldn't. There were no solutions. I dug as far as I, I could dig, and uh, there were no, no answers. So I, I, I did learn how to get sounds out. Like I would speak up here all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I remember Mutt making fun of me and saying, he didn't realize what I was going through. I, I didn't even know myself what was happening to my voice. But mm -hmm. um, he said, why are you always talking up here like that? You're all sing-songy up here. And I said, it's the only way that I can get get like continual sound out. What really is crazy to me is that there's a moment when everything's fine. Yeah. Then there's a moment when it's not. And then there's a moment when you know why. And yeah. when it's not and when you know why, how long was that? Seven years. Seven years that you're sitting yes. there going, I was on tour, yeah. I was making records, and I sounded like this, and now I don't know why I can't. Yeah. That is crazy. It was so scary. But I, I mean, after, so much, after like three years, I'm like, okay, you know. I've been to every specialist that you could imagine that should know yeah. um, or that should have been able to get to the bottom of it. They just couldn't. So in the end, I ended up going to a um, surgeon yeah. specializing, make a long story short, specializing in head, neck, throat um, surgery for yeah. cancer. Yeah. Which... Those surgeries are normally caused by injury, like either a cancer of, mm, you know, the mm, laryngeal area or the mm. tongue or the mouth, anywhere in the head zone, um, obviously unrelated to singing, mm. and then, or an accident, boxers. It happens to boxers, happens in car accidents, and so on. And what happens, the reason why he thought of the vocal cords is because not... Not the vocal cords, sorry. He was looking at my vocal cords. Mm. Sorry, they're perfectly intact. There's nothing wrong with the vocal cords. Yeah. You must be thinking it's psychosomatic. Have I psyched myself oh, out? Oh, everyone ta told me that was that. Yeah. And then, and so he said, well, what I do is normally 
I mean, the sad risk of doing surgeries for cancers or, or injuries in this zone is that, that very yeah. um, operation or the injury itself or the impact will damage one of those nerves or both yeah. to the vocal cord. So you're rolling the dice here. They're not singers. Yeah. Um, they're just people that often walk out of these surgeries with that damage. Yeah. I was going in to repair that damage that had been caused by Lyme's disease. Yeah. So it was a neurological thing. Nerves were damaged. They were both damaged. Um, they both have slight atrophy. One, one is 10%, one's 20%. So 30% altogether, the nerves have this atrophy. And so they don't have um, symmetrical closure, which is, forget it, you cannot get. You cannot sing with any, you know, or speak with any consistency. Okay, so great. Now we know what the problem is, what to do, what to do about it. Well, he said, well, the same surgery that, like these other surgeries or, or injuries that can cause this damage, there's also one that can repair the, not repair the damage, but can compensate for the, hmm. uh, the symmetry, the lack of symmetry. So now I have two Gore-Tex crutches in my larynx. It's an open throat surgery. It's not on the vocal cords. They don't touch the cords. And they just put these braces in there and they position them. You have to sing while they're doing it. And they position them. That, it's invasive. I know, it's terrible. It's invasive and you're singing. I know. I never want to have to do it again. This is on some James Cameron 1980s shit. This is like, open up the patient, sing while we repair the vocal cord. This is like... I'm telling you, it is a mind F. Like, it, because... I mean, he was so calm. The surgeon goes, you know, you'll have to be... Um, conscious for the during the. What effort. did you sing? Do you remember what you sang? Did you sing one of your songs? I, I don't even remember. I think I sang like <laughs> ABCs and you know like. You could have done better than that. You're literally one of the only people probably I'll ever meet who was singing while you had surgery on your throat. Like. So they have to watch your chords yeah. as you phonate to see what where they're weak. That's. And then they put the crutches in there to compensate until your cords are um, aligned, effectively. closing, yeah. um, you know, symmetrically. Wow. So you're singing, wow. you're speaking, you know, hit a high note, hit a low note, and then they close you up and you're, you know, in agony for a few weeks and you can't speak. And then that moment when you test it out. I'm telling you, that was... Emotional. Euphoria. I'm like... Oh my God, I have a resonance that I haven't had in years. You sound so good on this record and I can Thank hear you. it. Is it. Is it cool if I tell you that? Like, <laughs> in like, See, wake... I could never do, I couldn't do that. Yeah, that. I couldn't do woos. Yeah, there's a couple of Prince type ad libs on this. <laughs> I think there's one in Queen of Me where you're just like, ooh. Voice, my new voice. Oh my God, there's so many things I couldn't do for such there's a also, long time. There's also a depth. Yeah, I got more depth out of it. And a mature yeah. and, and a, growl and, and stuff. a maturity and a growl and a sort yeah. of and you use it like in um, waking up dreaming. There's a moment when you go in on a note and it's like, ah, oh, you've dug really deeper yeah. on that. I let it go. Like so, if it if it rasps out, I just stay with it. Um, there are certain notes that I have a very hard time getting them without that rasp, but the rasp doesn't hurt me. So I'm like. It's just part of my new voice. Some of the lyrics on this album, wow. But I've got to pay respects to this, to this moment on um, the last thing I remember is the first time we're together. Yeah. And then you flip it and then you do 
the one about the first kiss from my life. It's all first and last and last and first yeah. and the whole turnaround thing. This beautiful barnyard dance you're having with this memory is out of control. I mean, thank you. I just got to ask song. you about that that song because it's like so it, great. It's just one of these songs that I sat around and it's just like a real singer songwriter song, you know, kind of folky, the folky, the kind of it's sort of like a you're still the one vibe, you know. But it's got this 80s almost now the feel of it has this I mean, it's called Last Day of Summer, right? Yeah. That's very reflective. It almost feels like a, it could be a sort of, it could be you and someone else. It's got that 80s sort of bouncing it off does. each other. But it, it's, it's me reflecting on that bummer feeling that, oh, just as you're getting it. up enough courage to- I had it. To, to like get yeah. into this yeah. romance, the summer's over. Yeah. It's like one kiss, that's all I got. And now the summer's over and we, we gotta go, you know? But you wanna make that night last as long as you possibly can. So you're there till the sun comes up and, and life starts rolling again. And then it's like, okay, I guess it's time to go. And um, and then you reflect on that through the years. I, I think we all have done that. You always wonder where that, um, that ironic moment in your life ended up. But now, I'm but now I'm wondering sort of how much of that is drawn from imagination and, and how much of that you subscribe to in your life in terms of your, because you've had a, like we all have, have love is not simple. It's not a straight line. Yeah. You know, I've been married 23 years. I'm very, very lucky, but I've had my heart. <laughs> You're going to say I've been married 23 times. <laughs> I don't know why I, I jumped ahead of you there in my thinking. Sorry about that. Okay, 23 years. Bravo. That's awesome. <laughs> You know what though? It's not compared to 23 times. So you just took this amazing achievement that my wife and I have gotten and you just ruined it because it's like 23 times would be way, way better. I mean, I've been married 23 times. That's a much better story. Wow, yeah, that would be a... Let me tell you, Shania, my 17th wife was a fantastic human, but I just I knew straight away it was only going to last five minutes. Oh my God. But I just sort of wonder like, how much does it help you writing about these things better understand something that has... You're not, you're not unusual in that regard, Yeah. but it's unique to you. And it, it's, it was obviously very tough to go through your divorce. And yeah. so is it, is it helpful for you to write songs like that, to put love on a pedestal again? It's so, it's, songwriting is such therapy. It really is a self-help process. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's an immediate medicine in the sense that if I want to be, if I want to change my mood or the spirit, then I'm in, music can do it. Like instantly, yeah. instant change of spirit and, and perspective. Um, but at the same time, I'm always pulling from my own real emotions and experiences. And sometimes they are melancholy. A lot of times they're melancholy. Whatever they are, they yeah. are what they are, right? Yeah, of course. Um, so I kind of pull myself through these emotions when I'm writing a song. Even if the song ends up being like a really happy song, yeah. I'll always go through these other real true literal moments as I'm writing a song um, of myself. So yes, there's a lot of me in that song, um, bringing myself back to school mm. and falling in love or wanting to fall in love or just on the edge and then, you know, you don't really, you're just getting up the courage and, oh, yeah, but, you know, somebody, your mother starts calling out for you or something like that. So it's, I remember those moments so well. Even in the answer, the detail is so palatable. Like, it's so funny how you, th you go through these and I can see the detail. 
I'm, I'm just going to say this. Like when, when I when I, I had the pleasure of talking with Barbara Streisand, she's very similar. I feel to you in the way that it's all in the detail. It's all the magic is in how much can I really? What's the stroke behind the stroke? Right. I'm a very descriptive writer. Um, I'm, but I'm a very conversational writer, and I and I, I like to make things relatable for people. I can really get stuck, um, and I love it. I indulge in this. Like I'm telling you, this is my chocolate. I'm not a big chocolate eater, but my chocolate is like playing with words mm. and saying things that are, might be nonsensical to anyone else, but to me, they make entire sense because they're they're completely explaining what I want to what I'm feeling. Yeah. Okay. But because I got to come out saying it, that's where it doesn't always make sense to yeah, somebody yeah, else. Yeah. So that's what's behind my my every song that I, that I record. But the next layer is then making it so that other people can understand it. And <laughs> yeah. that, now that's a different, that's a skill. The first part's not a skill. The first part is just spewing and... Almost a courage, almost just a courage. Yeah, yeah, a willingness. You know, anything, and it's, 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 there's no inhibition there. It's so free, it's very, I can say whatever I want to say. But you take risks when you do that. Everybody you've collaborated with, for the most part, there's been some exceptions maybe early on. And But I think about the managers you've worked with, John Landau, you know, Scott, your, you know, your current manager, uh, Q Prime, people who focus on multiple genres. But, yeah. but you know, you were Shania, the queen of country. And then, you know, but the people you decide to work with, again, Mark Ralph, Clean Bandit, years and years, Jake Gosling, Ed, people like that. Mm -hmm. Mutt. Def Leppard, mm -hmm. ACDC. Mm -hmm. It's like you strive for these places that are out, that are not. I scare people around me sometimes. I know it's it, that's what happens basically. But I have to be very, I have to be really sure of myself, and I have to have conviction. Yeah. And then I, then I gotta put people around me at ease, and you just gotta trust me. I I need to just. This is what I really need to do. Um, this is what feels right for me. I can't, you know, I, I've got to do what feels right. And um, it makes them more, it makes everybody else's job more difficult because then they got to work out how to, you know, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of times it's not easy. I love that scene in the documentary where you finally admit that you're working with Mutt Lang. And yeah, you're, see, that's and one of I was like, whoa. And you're like, is that good whoa? Is that bad whoa? I mean, it was inspired looking back on it now. It makes total sense given the ambition that you had, which was to take your ability and your confidence and your own skill and put it into an environment where someone's going to push it sonically, ambitiously, right, push your writing, push, push, push. But it was always you. And I feel like that relationship was so well documented because both of you are the best at what you do. Mutt and you are the best at what you do. And you make great music out of it. You got a beautiful child out of it, mm -hmm. and then the personal relationship ends yeah. spectacularly badly. The child is beautiful. Yeah. The music continues. Here comes now. Yeah. You don't need much. Point proven. So my question is: has it, has it ever crossed your mind now that you have this wonderful life now, marriage, a child, music, songs, where? Do you ever have the inkling to work with him again, just purely from a creative point of view? I would love to. Um, I'd love to make another album with him or just a song. Um, 
I don't think he would. I think he would shy away from not shy away from it. I just don't think he'd be interested. Um, why? Why is that? Do you think? I don't know. I just think he he's turned that page mm-hmm. um, very definitively. I just don't think he wants to. Um, I think he just wants the past to be, you know, behind him, mm. which is fair enough. And yeah. you know, um, so yeah, I don't think that will ever happen. I mean, I would. Uh, but I do think about it all often, you know. I think it would be great. And then, you know, my son makes music, so I'm, you know. Um, do you make music with your son? I don't make music with him because he's he's just so focused on his own thing. Um, and so he doesn't include me so much. He loves it when I listen to what he's doing. Um, but I'm not really, um, I know my place really there. You don't even <laughs> want to say to him, help me out with the song or? Well, well, I'll tell you what I did do. Um, he wrote this thing a few years ago, and you know he plays me what he what he does and writes and everything like that. And I really love a lot of the things that he does, but this particular thing, I said, you know, do you mind just sending me the stems to that and and for me to just play around with it? This was during COVID. So How old is he? And he would have been what nineteen then? Eighteen? He was 19? seventeen then. Seventeen, just out of the mom phase, so he might have been open to that. Yeah, yeah. No, he was cool. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, and uh, pulls out the song. I worked on it during COVID, um, and I had to write a bridge, but I refused to change the melody because I thought it was so not me. It was so not the way I would phrase something, hmm. and the melody was so not where I would go naturally. And Tell me is, you finished it. I did, but this is what I thought was good. I said, I'm going to take myself out of myself a little bit. I'm going to follow his phrasing and melody yeah. to spec. When was the last time you did that? Ever? Never. Never. I've never done that. He's your first ever top line writer. Exactly. <laughs> That's epic. Now a top line writer, and I never thought of it that way. But I did sing it to him, like I did a demo of it. Yeah. Um, like a rough vocal form to hear it, and he goes, "No, no, mom, you gotta, you gotta stay, you gotta do it exactly like, you gotta time it like that." Uh, he and says, it, "Mother's and, and the son. melodies, yeah, and the melody, no, no, mom, it's gotta be like that. It's meant." I said, "Yeah, but it sounds so like." Juvenile, and he goes, yeah, but that's the idea. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to sound nursery rhymeish. It's on purpose. I'm like, okay, and I really forced myself to do it, and it turned out so well. Um, it's really a um, a lot of people's pick. It's really fun. It's very will dance. We, it's will very, we ever hear it? It's on the album. Whoa, it's on the album. Yeah, it's called Number One. I knew it was gonna be Number One. I literally was. About, I literally was about to say that. <laughs> I'm so mad I didn't get a hit of that. That would have been such a Dang. win. You would literally be like, ah, I mean, it was an all right interview, but he really knows how to pick my songs. I mean, seriously. Yes. I can't, so, that's one of those moments I'm so mad. Oh, People yeah. say that stuff all the time. I knew it was number one. Because when you said it has to be like this and it has to be nursery rhyming, and when I heard that song, I was like, Shania's really playing by the rules on this song in terms of like the way you're delivering it. Like, it's like, you're my number one, you're my number. It's like, it would not be where I would go naturally. He um, crushed that. So that was it's his, Asia, yeah. isn't it? Asia, yeah. Did a great job on that. He I, gave him no publishing, though, obviously. I mean, he owes you so much money for, like, you know, uh, education, <laughs> food, board. I don't know. Where but listen, it's, it's the first, like, Twain Lang song in a very long time. But now that is even better than he's a top-line writer. I told him, I said, listen, let's just do a whole Twang project, you know. What did, what did I mean, must have had a lovely moment with that, though, knowing that. Yes, Mott has not heard that yet. Wow, this no. is crazy. And you know, I didn't let Asia hear that until it was finished. Because I thought... What a moment. 
I didn't tell him it was on the record till it was all done. That's a great lesson, though, especially if he doesn't want to be an artist and wants to ultimately put some form of influence in the hands of other people, which is what writing and producing is. Yeah. You can never count your chickens. I mean, no, because I'm the one. artist. Yeah, it's your choice. And he was, he really, he said, oh, he, he was really happy with it. He had a few comments about some of the vocal, other vocal bits that I'd put in there that I removed. Yeah. But I said, listen, well, you didn't produce it. You know, you're, it's the, it's the, you know, you wrote and arranged it, but Mark Ralph produced it and this is how he saw it. And I'm the artist, so this is, but I, I stuck to his, so it was real awesome. So it wasn't like an in-room collaboration. Um, but I didn't tell him it was on the album. How did he react when you told him? Was he happy? He must have been stoked. He must have been really happy. I mean, he's kind of a cool cucumber. You know, he doesn't right, right, jump right. up and down with excitement. He's sort of like, oh, wow, that's cool, man. Great. Next. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. I mean, I'm, he, he's, he appreciated it. He's going to be just fine. I mean, if he's already at a point where he's just like, I'm on a Shania Twain now, and she's my mom, whatever. I'm on to the next thing, whatever. He's oh, going to be just fine. Well, he's not passive about it, but he's, yeah. um, you know, pleasantly surprised. He's yeah. his own man, and his identity is forming and formed, and you can, oh, yeah. you can. I mean, it's a job well done. You can pat yourself on the back, and but it's tough letting them go. Yeah. And um, what got you through that? Because I can imagine for someone like you, and I'm, I'm sorry if this oversteps the mark, but you lost your parents at a really formative time in your life. Mm-hmm. You've like many, many people lost great love, and so loss. The idea of abandonment, which is related to being a child, but obviously oh, yeah. rejection as a grown-up mm-hmm. is tough. And yeah. so then you lose the, even if it's a beautiful loss, someone yeah. like that, you know, goes on and lives their life. I mean, what I'm asking you to do is help me get prepared for it, basically. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I think it depends on the child. Yeah. So Asia um, has such an independent nature. I'll tell you... The, the way he prepared me was when he was 14 months old and he decided that he didn't want to be nursed anymore. You know, it's like... <laughs> and you're didn't. like, but I'm, this is my job. I'm like, yeah, but you're hungry. I know you're hungry. And, and nope, 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 nope. Yeah. I'm thinking, ooh, okay, well, I better hurry up and make something for him to eat because, like, he wants to eat. So, um, but that was the first time I realized, wow, kids really... This, at least this kid, he knows, like, yeah. he's done with that now. Yeah. And yeah. so I really felt that pang then. And so when it came around now at, you know, 18, he left, end of 17, uh, I, I, it didn't surprise me. I could see his nature already being so independent. He's very, very focused, incredibly obsessive about what he does has to be excellent at it, and um, and I get it. I understand. You know, I I I've always been the same way. So, mm. and his dad's the same way. So I think the trick to it is now making a point of being part of their life as they grow mm. and as they develop their own life. Mm. Now it's our job to make ourselves available. Because now they're getting busier all the time. They're Thanks. getting, you know, they're 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 rightfully preoccupied. They're they're focused. And if I show up and go out of my way and make that effort, he really appreciates it. You know. You know, this album is a. It starts. It, it giddy up's a bit of a a bit of a trick. It's a bit of a trick move. Uh huh. You know, because it's like here we go. 
It's like self-titled Shania a little bit. I'm coming out. We're getting back on the horse here. We're doing this thing. And then it becomes this really interesting modern sort of pop experience with, you know, still your, you know, the essence of great country writing, great storytelling, great, great wordplay. Was that deliberate? Did, did, you know, the idea of a giddy up sort of kicking things off and like, I like how playful you are with country music. You always have been. It's like you recognize the importance of it but you know that it's not sacred enough that it can't be changed or played with. Oh, absolutely. First of all, creativity is not sacred. That's like open, no way. That's like, you know, um, but you must, you must free reign has to be, but imagine. Is it, is it wrong for me to acknowledge that in Nashville in particular, there is a, a certain sacred feeling toward the craft of country music, and that's why change has been hard to come by there, or slower than most. I think it's more of a cultural thing. Um, I don't think there's anything you can't say in country. Uh, I feel like more it's the sound, it's a sonic thing. So um, if you take a song like, like for example, when I was a kid, I grew up to a song, you know, there was a song, uh, Johnny Paycheck, take, take this job and shove it. Yeah. That's pretty in your face. Um, now, but I think if a woman would have done that, or even if a woman did that now, and then, and then the production was more pop country, I'm not sure it would be played. So it's yeah. the context that they're very precious about. That's why what you did was so important when you broke out of that and went to pop radio and to rock arena shows. Because what you said, and I be careful here because I like Nashville, but I don't mind saying it, is you said to the to people who make those decisions that keep it within a sonic, and let's be really clear, a gender-based control environment, right. <clears throat> you said, that's okay. I'm not relying on that entirely anymore. These people want these songs. I'll go here and I'll go here. I, I live here just fine. Yeah. First of all, I write music for myself. That's my indulgence. That's what I love to do. If I can never sing anymore at some point or I can't perform, I'm going to write music. I'm going to write, write, write. I'm going to write anything. So that's forever. Um, as for the sake of making records, if I record a song that I've written, now I've already formatted it. You know, of course, now you're, you're taking a song that could be anything in the world you wanted it to be. You could take I Will Always Love You, Dolly Parton, um, or she could have written it, never recorded it. Yeah. And then the only one we would know is Whitney Houston. Yeah. And so, you know, the world that any song could live in is endless, infinite. So once you decide, um, along with your producer and as an artist, where that song's going to live sonically, uh, now you're making a decision about genre. And this is where somebody in the industry has to decide whether it qualifies or not. And so you don't want to make it so obvious or, or you don't want to feel so shackled that you, have, that you have to get the description first. Yeah, but that's the way, it was, that, that's the way it was designed. And it took people like you and Prince and there, there were great artists who were like, no, I, I understand you want me here and here and here, but I do all of it. I, I, I said this to someone the other day. I really feel like I'm amazed there wasn't a Prince Shania Twain era because he was so attracted to artists with strong, incredible writers, strong visual aesthetic, controlled their dynamic, 
and charismatic. Yeah. Did you I, missed, I missed out on that because um, Prince called me when I got divorced. And he said, um, we're on the phone. And he said, Shania, why don't you come to Casey Park? I want to make the next Rumors album with you. And that was the weirdest thing he could have ever have said. Because Mutt, his standard of what he thought where I could live as a standard was that album, Rumors album. And he said that, that to me. And so when Prince said that to me, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm not even divorced yet. I'm just like, you know, I've been dumped, but I'm not officially divorced yet. I'm like, I, this is way too ironic what yeah. you're saying, yeah. right? So and I am like such a major Prince fan. And then on top of it, I hadn't found my voice yet. I was still working on it. I was so far from finding it still. I was writing, but I was too insecure to go and, 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 and get with Prince in the studio. I was too insecure in every way. Plus, I'm on the phone with him and I'm swearing like I always do. I mean, because I'm just at home and it's, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. He said to me, well, if you, you know, if you do decide to come to Paisley Park, there's no swearing allowed here. So that was like another strike. I'm like, oh no, I love you so much, but I don't think I could get through <laughs> writing and recording an album without swearing somewhere along the way. What are you going to do to me if I swear? I'm going to have to stand in the corner or something. I wasn't sure about that. I, w I don't think I was ready for what all that was going to mean for me. Yeah. And so I just sort of... I didn't give up on it or anything, but then he died. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that moment happened, even if we didn't get music from it, because yeah. it just once again proves that that point that everybody's known for the longest time, which is Shania, people like Prince and yourself, and there's, there's a few artists on the planet that will leave a legacy that goes beyond the music. You know, it influences in so many different ways. And I know that's hard for you to probably get your head around and it's probably not for you to even try. But as you continue to move through your life and make more music and, and live this renew with this renewed spirit, I hope you recognize that. And I hope that the young artists that are, appreciate and respect you and, and offer you these, um, this feedback, I hope it resonates, you know? I hope that going on stage with Harry Styles makes sense to you now. Because so it made sense good. to everybody else. I was so relaxed about it. I I know you were in your sweatpants backstage talking to me right, twenty minutes before yeah. you went on. I can literally vouch for this. Right, I wasn't hiding. I wasn't masking it. No, I, I was really relaxed. I was more nervous than you were. I don't understand what's going. on. I wasn't even doing anything. Well, I just thought, you know, first of all, we have a casual back and forth anyway. Yeah, Harry he's good at I. that. He's great. I mean, he's, he's just, such a good dude. Yeah. So they send you music. Uh, he has sent me music. He's yeah. great at sending songs. Yes. I was out of the country for that first mm -hmm. weekend, and I said, well, I'm not going to be there, but I'll come on the second weekend. And he said, okay. And then he, then he calls, comes back to me and says, I really want you to do the first weekend. <laughs> and, like, is there anyone? I'm like, ah, oh. you know. And I, but I didn't realize yeah. the significance of that moment. I knew, I mean, not, not because I, I just... I saw it as a, you know, um, I, I don't know. I just saw it as a moment to get together with Harry, but I didn't see it as such a landmark 
moment. But it wasn't until it was done. We knew I it, guess. We knew it was going to be if it all went to plan. Anyone who's a fan of him knew this was a major moment for all of us and mainly, obviously for him, but for all of us as fans. But it was that, you can't know it's a landmark moment if it's the first land, if it's a landmark moment. Yeah, right? I'm not sure. Who, you're, everyone, yeah. you're always going to be a second behind it. Especially if you take part in it, which you did. I mean, it was such a wonderful surprise. Um, everyone's reaction, and it now makes sense to me now um, because that the reaction was what it was. Because it's the Harrys and his age group, and even younger. Yeah. That their moms had my music on. Yeah. And they're in the back seat, and they know by the time you know, at some point, they know every word by heart. Um, because after him, then there was the up generation. And yeah. those kids, I mean, uh, these are the kids, these, these guys are at my concerts now. I, yeah. You know, they're, they're there with their mom or their grandmother, or they're just there with a bunch of girls because they were, you know, in little kids together, growing up together, listening to this stuff. So now it does absolutely make sense. Well, the please. It's beautiful. Please hold it. And uh, I, I said, I was going to say the word once. I don't know why I said that rule for myself. It was ridiculous. And then we got interrupted by the music. So I'm going to end the way we started by saying thank you, Icon, for your time. <laughs> and thank you for the music. And thank you for everything that you've, you've given us thus far. And I'm so pleased that we're here having this conversation. There's more to come. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more conversations, don't forget to follow this show and leave a review. Zane will be back for another brand new episode.